Hey, John Harris here with the Rock Metal Podcast. Join me as we get to go behind the scenes into what goes into producing records and making music as we interview some of our favorite and soon-to-be favorite bands. Today, we're chatting with Brandon Mullins of the band Embraced. For fans of Under Oath, Norma Jean, our expandents and newfound glory, we'll be chatting about the upcoming Panhandle Throwback Festival happening on June 24th as well as how the boys went from small-town nobodies to major-label interest within two years back in the year 2000. And I know what you're thinking, John, that was like 20 years ago. Well, I heard Brandon's story, and I thought you'd love to hear it too, because there's some information there that just might help you out. This is definitely a unique chat with a lot of heavy hitters and value bombs, so please stay tuned to the very end. But first, let's check in with our beautiful sponsors. Asher Media Relations, doing public relations for everything loud. For your band needs to be seen and heard in print, online, and radio, head over to ashermediarelations.com. That's ashermediarelations.com. Mention the Rock Metal Podcast and get your band noticed. Syndical Music is a full-service agency for musicians offering record label services, marketing, branding, production, and management. Head over to syndicalmusic.com. That's syndicalmusic.com. S-Y-N-D-I-C-O-L music.com. Mention the Rock Metal Podcast and take your music career to the next level. All right, well, Brandon, welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. Go ahead and say hi to all of our beautiful listeners. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I'm Brandon. Brandon, great to have you on. Now, go ahead and quickly tell everyone listening in what you told me when you reached out to me by email. Uh, the fact that we were really nobodies in Panama City, Florida for the longest time, and we just decided to give this music thing a go. And from being you know, high school kids to having some major label interests in about two years uh, felt didn't mean much to us at the time, but in retrospect, that doesn't happen much these days. No, it doesn't. But I mean, how many people are resonating with this? Nobodies from any town, small town, big town, maybe even being high school kids, giving this music thing a go. But here's the interesting thing, having that major label interest in about two years. Yeah, so we were actually, well, we were all playing in bands and, you know, bands with the quotation marks, but also making a noise at some point with little things before then. But this band came to fruition and really started getting its legs right in the year 2000. And we put this record out. Uh, you know, we'd been writing music and finally formed the EP songs together and recorded it on Theory 8 Records in the year 2002, and that's when things really uh, kind of took off for us. Yeah, and you mentioned some things that definitely haven't changed since the year 2000. You got in the studio, you recorded, you got on stage, uh, you know, you found your legs, so to speak. So, I mean, for anybody who's currently asking right now, like, great, the year 2000, what does that have to do with what's going on today? I mean, we're going to get to this, so don't worry for a second but quickly, Brandon, what would you say that's different? To have those labels reaching out to us after we had been hustling and busting our butts for a little bit, you know, even I say a little bit, two years, it was interesting to see, you know, there wasn't as much competition as there is today in in the in that terms. You know, there was if you had the gumption and you were willing to kind of get out there and play some music in front of people, people would listen, you know? Yeah. You mentioned something incredible there, gumption, which for those who don't know, that's basically being resourceful, figuring out the way and getting out there to play music, getting on stage, getting your information in front of people physically in real life, not hiding behind your Instagram. You know, that's why, Brandon, I think you said there's no competition back then because you couldn't hide behind your Instagram. You actually had to get on stage. You actually had to do things to be a musician. But on a more serious level, Brandon, 
Take us back to the year 2000. How did you do it? If you've got a certain approach or mindset, what I'm thinking of is gumption, that opportunities that present as lucky tend to pop up more and more, right? So um, when I say that we went from nobodies in a band to getting looked at by these major labels in such a short span, I think it's because we were out there busting and taking advantage of these situations. You know, keep in mind that um, this was way before you were able to click a button and send anyone in the world your music and, you know, being able to find it on Spotify and Apple Music. So, uh, you know, I think we had two major goals in respect to sharing our, our sound and our, our music around. The first one was we needed to get in people's ears. You know, Spotify didn't exist then, right? So if you wanted people to hear your music, you had to either put it in their hands or they had to be at a show. So we took any vehicle that we could possibly find and we would pack it up and play anywhere that would take us, right? So we were driving all over the Southeast for any promoter that would have us. We played birthday parties, hence the embarrassing situations, you know, uh, tour, little town festivals, uh, parking lots, house shows, whatever we were invited to. And I think that led to more legit opportunities later down the road. So seeking those adventures and seeking those opportunities, but also we wanted to be taken seriously as musicians, you know, not just kids that are playing at, you know, somebody's birthday party. So I think the touring helped promoters start to look in our direction, but what really helped legitimize our band was who we played with. Right. So I think that one thing that helped put Panama City on the map uh, concerning, you know, underground heavy music was that we were booking these shows so that we could play with these bands that we wanted to play with, you know? We kind of became a de facto production company, bringing bands like, uh, you know, Under Oath and Norma Jean, who was actually ludicrous before they were Norma Jean. We we played their first show as Norma Jean ever. Um, a Newfound Glory before they got real big, RX Bandix, uh, 238, Stretch Armstrong, Beloved, and... Those two things combined, I think, showed labels that we could be taken seriously and hang because we had the wherewithal and the gumption to go out and get it done, you know, and we weren't playing like American Idol or X Factor and hoping that, you know, we had this massive audience and could be judged on those merits. We were just 16, 17, and 8-year-old dudes driving a 1982 Chevy Suburban to Atlanta to play a show for some band that we thought was cool back in the day. (laughs) 16 to 18 year old high school kids just driving around a 1982 Chevy Suburban on the way to Atlanta, you know, playing shows, networking with other bands, you know, as you mentioned, going to Atlanta just to, you know, play for a band that you wanted to play with. And the crazy thing is that everything that you mentioned still exists Mm -hmm. today. Yeah, but not everybody's doing it, right? So I I think you're right. Back in the day, I can remember going to, as a kid, like Warp Tour or something, right? And somebody would come up and give you a CD, because CDs were new then, and it was something they pressed. It wasn't from a label. They had their their handwriting on it, you know? I personally went to one in Atlanta one time, and some kid came up and handed me the CD, and it was like, check out my band. It's really cool. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I put it, played it later or whatever. It was was Jim Atkins from Jimmy World gave me a CD. (laughs) You know, it was like hustling for his band, you know? And that's that might have been like 98, but I mean, think about where they are now, but you're right. It was, it was an art form. You had to be able to talk to people and that's lost a little bit these days, right? To mm-hmm. see somebody you don't know, put, get, put a flyer in their hand and say, Hey, come see my band. It's, it's four bucks or whatever, right? It's, this is a free show we're playing. Come out and see it. And I think, you know, sometimes it gets, it's easy to get behind a screen and send an email and say, well, that's it. That's all I have to do. And that might work for some people, but I don't think that's how you gain you know, loyal fans or, you know, entice people to come and see your music. 
Yeah, putting a physical CD in someone's hands, obviously that's changed. There's other ways I'm sure that, that bands are figuring out how to do that, but you have that experience with what turned out to be Jimmy Eat World. I remember having that experience, and it turned out to be Evanescence when they hit the radio. I remember having that experience, and it turned out to be 10 years you know, when they hit the radio. So it's not just sitting behind, you know, the email screen, as you put it, or just sitting behind the Instagram screen, like I like to put it, you know, but actually getting out there and putting in the work to build a loyal following and entice people to see your music. Which takes me to my next question, Brandon. Yeah. It's not the year 2000 anymore. And we have TikTok. How would you do this again? Luck aside, I guess. Because I know luck luck is a part of it. You mentioned luck. Sure. How would you do it again? Yeah, that's that's the question, right? You know, because hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think you hear so many stories about actors or you know business moguls. They say something like, um, "I was about to give it up, and then this happened." I think in the case of my first band, embraced what kind of haunts us, if that's the right term. We're all in good places, but um, is I think we gave up a little too soon. You know, we're talking about a short time frame here. We we existed from maybe a little bit before 2000 to a little bit around 2004 when we really kind of found our swing, but we gave it up just a little bit too soon. And I think it, you know, it had something to do with like our immature internal band arguments that we could have easily resolved, but we were young and dumb and short sighted. And if we had found a way to work through those, I mean, who knows? Because some of our contemporaries at the time were in the trenches, but they found a way to to hang in there and found real market success. Um, like our music genre had never seen before, you know, playing to like hundreds of thousands of peoples. I, I talked to a guy um, uh, that we were in a band with at the time and a few years later chatted with him. It was this band called Copeland. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with that band, this indie rock band from Lakeland. But he was in a band that played in front of the Pope in the Vatican City in front of a million people, all because they like they stuck it out, you know, and didn't give up when things got rough. So I think that's the first thing I would do differently, right, is stick it out a little more and, and try to be more mature about, you know, the intentionality of our music. But I'd also say looking back, one big approach to how I view myself would change. I I think when you're young, you often think about yourself as a member of a band, like I was Brandon from Embraced, and it's easy to kind of get stuck in that kind of egocentric area. Uh, again, being short-sighted and young, I, I would definitely think of myself more, I would take a step back and think of myself as a musician who has something to give to the world, right? Um, what I mean by that is I, I feel like if you're a, if you're a person in a band, you, you tend to think of yourself in that ecosystem. But if you are a musician, you get to spread your wings and be creative. And um, there were so many times where I had opportunities to play in other bands or do my solo thing, and it didn't because I was Brandon from Embraced. I would definitely be more intentional about thinking of myself as a musician because for a long time it was like kind of sacrilege to branch out from your main band or your social, your musical endeavor. Um, I would approach it that way. I would think of myself as a musician first if I had to do it all over again and be more intentional about my musical journey and um, the person that I am creating music as opposed to just being a dude in a band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? Don't give up too soon. Yeah. Think about that market success, but at the same time, I think where that market success comes from is something that Brandon touched on. He's not just Brandon from Embraced. Yeah. He is a musician who has something to give. And my I always parallel music to food. And I don't know why. Yeah. But my parallel to that was, am I a chef because I want to 
be, I don't know, the next big name? Or am I looking to use my talent to ensure that somebody has a <clears throat> experience with food that they wouldn't have otherwise had? Yeah, I get that. Like, you know, again, as a musician, it was, I'm in a band, this is the music that we make. Uh, but if you think about it from this is the thing that I'm creating, I get to share with the world, uh, you can go in so many different directions. You know, it's not it's not so single minded. And you're right. Like, what do you bring to the table? What what stirs your soul as opposed to, uh, you know, what what can this thing, this entity do? What can I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. More to come. But let's go ahead and check in with our beautiful sponsors. Two Madsen is responsible for producing, mixing, and mastering some of the best metal for over the last 20 years. From Meshuggah to The Haunted to Poison Black, Kemper Profiler packs for guitar players, and Easy Drummer expansion packs for programming drums. Two Madsen can take your production to a level previously unheard. Head over to twomadsen.com. That's twomadsen.com. T-U-E-M-A-D-S-E-N. Click contact, fill out the info for your next project, and let Two know that the Rock Metal Podcast sent you. Wormhole Death is a modern record label, publishing, and film production company born in 2008. Getting signed to this label means global distribution, publishing, and marketing with Wormhole Death's roster of global partnerships. Head over to wormholedeath.com. That's wormholedeath.com. Submit your band and let them know the Rock Metal Podcast sent you. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned market success earlier on in the interview, Brandon, and uh, hustling for two years, getting in major label interest. You did mention a bit of luck, but you've also mentioned... Um, you know, being able to play with like Under Oath, Norma Jean, RX Bandix, Newfound Glory. I yeah. guess at this stage, you know, how would you define success as a band? Yeah, uh, in my opinion, uh, success can really only be defined by the individual that's looking for success, right? What is success? Uh, becoming the next Aerosmith or uh, creating music you can be proud of or getting paid to play music. By that measure, you know, street performers are successful. But uh, I have a little bit of a story here, if that's okay. Uh, one of my first jobs ever, bef- just right before Embrace was forming, it might have even been at like the, the first couple of months of Embrace. I was 17 and I was working at this photography company called Sepia. Um, essentially, they were contracted by shopping malls, if you remember what a shopping mall is. And uh, they did like Easter Bunny photography and Santa Claus photography. And they, you know, they did the picture experience for kids. Anyway, I was working as like a Santa's helper thing. And one of the Santas that we contracted was this guy named Jay Carrington Scott. You can look him up if you want to, or your listeners should look him up. Anyway, uh, he found out that I was doing the band thing and performing, you know, my own music. And we got to chatting. And apparently, in his younger years, he was a hired saxophone player for Leonard Skinner and like Alabama and some of these other bands. And he just loved the fact that I was like getting started. And he told me his tour stories. Anyway, um, he's a really nice guy. He passed away in 2009. But when I was talking to him one day, I had mentioned to him that we made $400 one time, which was a huge sum of money for a 17-year-old playing in some rinky-dink band back in the day, uh, to play some kid's birthday party. And I felt really cheesed out that we were playing a birthday party. And he said, you know, because it was a birthday party and it wasn't like a, a real show or anything. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said, uh, you paid you got paid to play music, right? That makes you a successful musician. And that always kind of stuck with me. Um, but although I don't use that as my definition, but it always comes to mind. I think for me personally, Brandon Mullins defining what success is as a musician, I think it's being able to create music or create a sound that has meaning to you and that you are able to do on your own terms. Labels will often tell you what to do or what to dress like or what to sound like. But I think a band like Jimmy Eat World or MXPX or even like a Taylor Swift who get to make their own music and own it and do what they want to, 
regarding their own sound. That's what real music success looks like. Making music on your own terms, getting paid to be a musician. I mean, there's a couple of things that we've we've said there, right? You can get paid to be a musician. You can rock those birthday parties, those bar mitzvahs like Drake. I just got back from a bar mitzvah in the States. You know, so it's definitely something that happens in the music industry. Um, so get ready for that. Definitely nothing to be ashamed of. But then, as you mentioned, like the Taylor Swifts of the world, the the Jimmy Eat worlds of the world, making music on your own terms. Yeah. What What did you want people to do from this uh, call? I mean, we have so many yeah. so many value bombs that have been dropped, or some heavy hitters, as I like to call them. <laughs> Uh, you know, for bands listening in that I think need to just hear a refreshing ear. There's just so much noise going on right now and mm. so much wrong information about how to promote your band. I just wanted to get back to the brass tacks that everything that we're talking about still exists today um, and and bands are ignoring. And it's almost like you'd be on a fast track because you'd be doing what nobody else is doing to cut through the noise. But what do you want listeners to do right now? Is there a place you want them to go on the web? What do you want them to do? Sure. Well, you know, let me start by saying thanks for giving me this opportunity. This has been a lot of fun. But I'm hoping that some of your listeners that are sitting there enjoying to some old heads talk about music the way that it used to be have found some measure of kind of inspiration from our conversation or took an anecdote or a suggestion and they think I can run with that or if I change that thing, I can run with it. So I hope that that exists, right? But I guess my call to action would be for your listeners to go get it, you know, go make music you love, go borrow a car, go get with your best friends, hit the road. You know, I'm in such a great spot right now. I feel like I have a wonderful family. I've got two great kids. You know, my wife is wonderful and um, I wouldn't trade that for anything, but I'm also thinking of 20 year, 21 year old me that found some European or Japanese promoter who was willing to fly us to play songs to some kids that don't even speak English that we wrote in our garage halfway across the world. And those kids are singing along and I get to do this travel the world thing with four of my best friends. Um, you know, I kept those networks going and I didn't burn those bridges. And it allows me now as a 40 year old man, the opportunity to have my own children come and see me perform in front of 4,000 people at their first concert. So I guess I hope somebody finds the courage to take the next step to start your musical journey. You know, Embraced has been playing on and off for 20 years now, and we've all gone on to form, you know, a, a few different bands. And we took those steps for me for with a, with a band called Across Five Aprils. If you're into that, we found some success on uh, Victory Records and got to tour the world. And uh, Steve went on to go play in Go Radio, and they're still touring. You should go see them if you like the pop punk side of things. Yeah, they're they're play with bands like. Uh, Plain White Tees and Paramore, and they did a whole run of Warp Tours for several years. And, you know, Embraced, this 40-year-old dude is going to get to play with some of my best friends from back in the day. We're going to be playing a reunion show again on June 24th in Panama City uh, at Panhandle Throwback Fest. They've been kind enough to let us headline that. And, uh, you know, I get to hang out with all my friends, you know. And I guess I would say to your audience that's listening, go get it, you know. And if you happen to be out there at our show on the 24th or you see me in the future, Come up and say, hey, because I'd love to chat about, you know, what your musical journey looks like. Go ahead and hit up Brandon at the Panhandle Fest. That's June 24th. It's going to be happening in Panama City, Florida. And my goodness gracious, so many incredible value bombs were dropped today. So please make sure to head over to therockmetalpodcast.ca, where I will have all of the extra information from today, the transcripts, everything that you need to know to make sure that you have everything that you need from today's episode. So, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on to the Rock Metal Podcast today. Yeah, man, I really appreciate being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, for letting me bend your ear for a little bit. 
That's it for this episode of the Rock Metal Podcast. Stay tuned because next week we're going to be chatting with Charlie Daw of the band Van Tenor. Charlie chats what it's like to lose band members, write music from a place of heart rather than anger, and how to use music as a tool in dealing with trauma. Go ahead and hit subscribe on your podcast player, share it with your friends, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>